Okay, we're going to be talking today about the blessing versus the curse. You know, how many times do you hear people get all caught up in fear over satanic curses? You know, some churches almost panic at the thought of a witch coming into their church service and bringing a curse. And we talk about the power now of God, but when the power of Satan or, or the power of the occult is mentioned, people actually tremble and some of them get nightmares. Okay, why is that? And you say, because I've seen the destruction that curses have wrought and it's not a pretty sight. Well, that's true, I agree, but today, I want us to see some important truths that can change our whole focus. We need to realize that part of the scheme of the enemy is to accompany his tactics with a spirit of fear. That's what he sends that does the most good for him. Now, it makes his job a lot easier when he can keep people afraid of what they think that he can do. So today, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be starting a two-part series on Balaam, the blessings of, of God versus the curse of the enemy. And I have two objectives now to accomplish for this series. Now, objective number one, I want us to take a close look at the blessing versus the curse. And I want us to get a vision of the power of the blessing. You know, so many times we've talked so much about the power of the curse, but we've got to realize the power of the blessing is so powerful. And number two, I want us to see where the curse actually comes in. Now, you don't have to answer this out loud, but do you know how the curse comes every single time? Now, we're going to see about that out of the Word of God. Now, if we're going to be working on that today, I want us to go, first of all, to Numbers chapter 22, and I want to show you something that I think is very interesting. I want to give you just a little bit of background. Now, the children of Israel, they've been in bondage in Egypt. They've been there for a long time, and they're headed back to the Promised Land. And mile by mile, as they go through the wilderness, God is protecting them. He's providing for them. He loves His people Israel, and He's taking them back to the land that He had given to their father Abraham. Now, it's their land, but they've been gone now, you've got to realize, for 400 years. And so other nations have come in. They've inhabited the land, but it still belongs to Israel. It still belongs to Abraham's descendants. And it's no secret now to the inhabitants of the land that this mass of two to three million people are coming. They, they've heard about it. It's kind of like we would say everybody's talking about it. Now, the nations have been well informed. News of their escape out of the exile in Egypt and they're hearing all about that. And so the message has traveled ahead of them. And they're well aware of how powerful the Israeli God is, how he parted the Red Sea and how, how they crossed over on dry land. Everybody's talking about it. Now, when the spies went to the house of Rahab, she said, when we heard about how powerful your God is, she said, our hearts literally melted on the inside of us. She said, we were so terrified, our hearts melted. So the reputation of their God now has traveled ahead of them. Now, you might say, well, it's been news on, on, on the news channel for days. <laughs> That's what we'd be saying today. So in Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, the children of Israel camped in the plains of Moab. Now, Moab is the section of land called Jordan now, and it's on the other side. It's on the east of the Jordan River. Now, when they looked across the Jordan River, they could see the city of Jericho, and it's governed now at this point by King Balak. And so in verse 2, King Balak saw what all Israel had done to the Amorites. You know, I can imagine how he was frightened because they had killed all of the Amorites. They had not left one male Amorite. But if you'll look back in chapter 21, verse 22, God had asked the Amorites to allow his people just to pass through the land. That's all he had asked for. He said, we'll not turn into your fields. We'll not go into your vineyards. We won't even drink the water out of your well. All we want to do is just travel on the king's highway and pass 
pass through your borders. And they had to pass through the land of the Amorites in order to get to the promised land. But instead of allowing Israel to pass through, the Amorites fought with them. And when they did, God, of course, protected his people and all the Amorites were killed. But it was there, it was their own stubbornness that got them killed because the children of Israel would have passed through peacefully. God had promised that. And so in verse 3, Moab was very much afraid of the people because they had heard all these stories and they heard about all of these people being killed. And so they were distressed because of the people crossing their land. And so in the first part of verse 4, Moab said to the elders, this company of people will lick up all that's around us, just like an ox licks up the grass of the field. So they're terrified. Okay, that's how you'd feel if you saw two to three million people coming. You know, there wouldn't be any way that you wouldn't kind of shake in your boots. You'd think, you know, they're going to lick up everything. Their cattle are going to eat all of our grass. You know, all of our crops are going to be taken, and they're going to literally drain our wells. You know, I can imagine two to three million people. And so they're thinking, what on earth are we going to do? Well, those of you with teenage boys, I think you could probably understand when they bring their gang of friends in, they're hungry and they begin to raid the kitchen. And it's kind of like they lick up everything that's inside. Uh, if you've had your dinner cooked, you better hide it because otherwise your family's going to be going out to eat tonight. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be anything left. Okay, that's how King Balak felt when he saw two to three million people coming. So you can imagine now, King Balak, he had a choice. He could fight or he could submit to that God who had always proved his, his godly power. And he had proved it to every nation and every tribe. So they knew about him. King Balak, he could have, he could have decided, okay, I want to be on his team. But Balak was king, and he didn't want to share his glory. So he made a wrong choice, and he decided that he would fight against God rather than let them pass through the land. But he wasn't going to fight the same way that the king of the Amorites had fought. He saw how they had done it, and they had been just literally wiped off. So he knew he didn't want a physical battle. So he decided that he was going to fight God's power with a demonic spiritual power. He's thinking, oh, I can win this way. And so in verse 5, King Balak said, they covered the surface of the earth. You know, I, I'm sure it did appear that way. I saw on TBN one night pictures of this huge crusade, and there were 10,000 people there. As far as the eye could see, you saw people. Okay, now that was 10,000 people. Can you imagine two to three million people? I can't, I, can't even, I can't even imagine that. And uh, so the king called Balaam. Now, so many people think of Balaam as being one of God's people. So you can ask almost anyone and say, well, who is Balaam? And they're just going to say, well, he's an Old Testament prophet. That's what most people think. But he's not an Old Testament prophet. He's not even from among God's people. He's from among King Balak's people. And he's way up north near the river Euphrates. Now, Balaam's not even Jewish. He's not a prophet of God. He's a soothsayer. And he recognized the authority and power of God. So King Balak then said in verse 6, Please come curse this people for me because they're too mighty for me. Now, Balaam had the reputation of having been right in some of his prophecies. He had quite a reputation among uh, his people. So King Balak was totally confident now of Balaam's spiritual powers. He thought, if I can get Balaam here, we're going to be fine. Now, I'm going to insert here just a little bit of food for thought. In the last part of verse 6, if spiritualists can enter into a realm of a certain amount of spiritual power from the enemy, then how much more authority and how much more power we could have by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to realize that if we would just submit to him. 
Now, Balaam was in the business for money. He was after money. He's not a man of God. In fact, the New Testament says that he's full of greed. He loved money. Okay, this is how he made his living, being a soothsayer. It's kind of like a a modern-day palm reader, you know. They're open to the spiritual realm, but their heart's not pure. You know, they're, they're after personal gain. So they're open to the wrong spirits. Now in verse 8, Balaam said to the leaders of Moab, lodge here tonight and I'll bring you word again as the Lord will speak to me. So the leaders of Moab stayed there with Balaam. Okay, now one commentary said that Balaam was a curious mixture of good and evil. And I thought, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, that tree was the knowledge of good as well as evil, but the whole tree was bad. So we're going to find that both good and evil are going to come now out of Balaam's mouth before it's over. But the whole tree is evil. Now, Balaam was an evil man, but what he said sounded so right, and that confuses a lot of people. Sometimes we just listen to what's being said, and if it sounds good to us, but we have to go by the Spirit. It's the same today. Most spiritualists today who make predictions, they will say that their gift is from God, and uh, that can be confusing to a lot of people. In fact, it has fooled a lot of people, and that's the thing that deceives them. It deceives even Christians into seeking them for advice many times. You know, you probably know of Christians who have gone gone to soothsayers, gone to prediction givers. Nancy Reagan, it's really sad, but she's a prime example of someone who was deceived in this area. Okay, now these spiritualists can hear in the spirit realm, but their message is always mixed. An impure motive opens us up to wrong spirits every single time. Now, I've never known of any palm readers or any prediction givers that say, Jesus is my Lord. I serve my my God. I love him. The blood of the cross is my salvation. You don't hear that out of these soothsayers. In fact, it was about 30 years ago that we had these friends. They went to England. Now, at the time, they were deceived. They weren't really walking totally with God. So when they got to England, they heard about this well-known spiritualist or this medium. And they decided they would go and talk to her. When they got there, they said they couldn't believe this plush home that she lived in. Well, she began to call up spirits and she told them things that they knew that she couldn't possibly have known in the natural. And this friend of ours suddenly got very spooked. All he could think about, he wanted to get his family out of her house. And so he asked her, he said, how does Jesus fit into all this? And so she laughed and she said, oh, there's a lot of Jesuses. And he said, well, I'm talking about Jesus, who's the son of God. I'm talking about the one who died and shed his blood on the cross for our salvation. And he said instantly in the twinkling of eye, her whole countenance changed. And he, he said she jumped up and got them up and almost threw them out of the house. And then she said when she got to the front door, she commanded that they never come back. So really, that is the key. The one who confesses with their whole heart, not just words, you know, not just lip service, but the one who confesses, Jesus is my Lord. The blood of the cross is is my salvation. That's how you can know the difference. When Christians say, well, they, they can know the future. They must have some kind of powers from God. No, you know the difference by the one who says, Jesus is my Lord. He died on the cross to save me from my sins. And that's why Christians need to get this down in their spirit so they know how to tell the difference. So that's how you discern. That's how you stay out of deception. So Balaam was of the same spirit as the modern-day spiritists or the modern-day predictors. It's kind of like Solomon said, there's really nothing new under the sun. That's true. It's been there forever. It's there today. Now, in verse 12, Balaam said, you will not curse the people because they are blessed. So Balaam knew that. 
He knew the truth. Now, as we go through this, I want you just to take note of how many times now it talks about the curse not being able to work because of the blessing. Now, Balaam was a big soothsayer, but he even knew that. And in verses 14 through 17, when Balaam refused to go with them, King Balak sent more officials, higher-ranking officials, and they offered to give Balaam anything that he wanted. You know, you name what you want. And they said, we'll give you honor. They offered to do anything if he would just curse the Israelites. Now, King Balak knew Balaam pretty well. And um, so at this time, he's offering to honor him. You know, at first he was just giving him the money, but now he's saying, we'll give you an honor. Now, who knows what the honor was? You know, maybe it was some office in in the government or, or something of that nature. But the point is they were offering him more than the regular fee for divination. Basically now, Balaam was being told that you can name your price just as long as you curse these people. Now, a lot of influential people coming to you asking for favors, they always appeal to the pride. And that's what they went for in Balaam. So King Balak now was going straight for the pride in Balaam. And thank God, it didn't, it didn't affect him. We're going to find out later why. But in verse 18, Balaam answered, If Balak gave me his house full of silver and gold, I'm not able to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. I can't do less or more. Okay, now that sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty noble. And we read that and we think, well, you know, Balaam must have been okay. I mean, that was a pretty good answer. But we're going to find out a little later that it was only empty words. Now, I don't know whether he honestly thought that he could fool God with his words or not. I I don't know what he thought. But Balaam wasn't refusing King Balak's silver and gold. He wasn't doing that out of the purity of his heart. He just knew the powers in the spiritual realm, and he knew that he couldn't overpower God's power in open display. He knew the power of God. He just didn't submit to it. He knew God's powerful blessing. He knew that was too strong to overthrow openly with one of his curses. So he knew there was no sense going that route. Now he's going to have to find another plan of action. Now that should really encourage us to realize how powerful now God's blessing really is on our life over the enemy. Now God's blessing is more powerful than any satanic curse. And that's what Christians need to realize, that there is nothing that is more powerful than God's blessing. Now, Satan knows he can't curse us by pronouncing a curse on us. Uh, You can't just walk down the street and have a demon jump on you with no cause, you know. Satan knows he has to go to a more subtle and a more seductive, deceptive plan. And so that's what he's doing now through Balaam. Now, deception is always there. And uh, wherever the danger is, you're going you're gonna to find this. And verse 19, finally, Balaam says, stay here to, with me tonight, and I'm going to hear more from God, and I'll talk to you in the morning. Now, God had already given him an answer, but he just kept trying to weary God down. You know, how many times do we do that without even actually realizing what we're doing? Because Balaam knew that there was a lot of silver and gold. He knew there was a lot of honor if he could just get God to agree to allow him to curse the people. You know, you wonder, could he have been that stupid (laughs) to think that? uh, But anyway, he did. And even though he knew God's answer was definite, when you look back in verse 12, he still kept going back and trying over and over and over to get his way. It's kind of like a child who keeps crying and begging, hoping that he's going to wear his parents down until they finally give in. And then in verse 20 to 22, God came to Balaam at night and he said, if the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. Okay, so the word which I say to you, 
He said, I want you to do it. Be obedient. So Balaam went with the prince of Moab. Now the anger of the Lord was inflamed because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way as an adversary against him. Okay, now Balaam was riding a mule. And it would appear that God had finally said go. And then got angry because he went. But we know that God's not double-minded. So we don't have all the facts here. But there is and there are times when people keep begging and pleading with God until they convince themselves. You know, have you ever asked God something so many times that finally you convinced yourself and you thought, okay, I, I believe he's, he, he's going with me this time. And sometimes we justify ourselves, but it's not God. Now, Balaam may have been trying to convince himself that he had God's permission to go ahead because he wanted this so badly. And sometimes we have to check ourselves. If we want something so badly, you know, we can sometimes convince ourselves that we've convinced God, but that's not the truth. Okay, now you've seen kids do that. They'll ask one parent permission to do something. And if the parent doesn't answer them, sometimes they'll take that as a go-ahead and they'll tell the other parent, Mom, Dad said it was okay. Or they'll go to their dad and they'll say, Dad, can I go? What do you think? Then sometimes they'll tell their mom, Dad said I could go, so it must be okay. There's the possibility that since God knew the seductive plan that Satan was going to use later, that possibly put in Balaam's mind, don't go. But Balaam wants it so badly that he just keeps pushing. And he causes 24,000 Israeli to die because of it before it's over. Now, Maybe God wanted to use Balaam to warn King Balak and uh, uh, leave Israel alone. We don't know what he was really wanting Balaam to do, but we know that he was wanting him to not go along with the king. And so God was giving him a warning, and it was a warning that he wouldn't forget. But whether the situation now was going to impress Balaam on the way, how very important it was not to speak harm to Israel, it lets him know now that it means life or death. He knows that. Now, God had pledged himself to protect Israel for as long as they trusted him. And that's what he was doing. He was protecting Israel. Now, God's also merciful. He even has given evil men like King Balak a chance to change their ways. He gave him a chance over and over. And in verses 23 through 29, the anger of the Lord was inflamed because Balaam went and the Lord stood in the way as an adversary against him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. And his, he saw that the angel's sword was drawn. So the donkey turned out of the way and he went out into a field. He was trying to get away from that angel. So Balaam struck the angel to turn him back on the way. But the angel stood in the narrow path with a wall on both sides. We're speaking out of uh, verses 23 to 29. And when the donkey saw the angel, she threw herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. Okay, that donkey's trying her best to get out of the way of that angel. So again, Balaam struck his donkey again. Now the angel then went further where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. So the donkey fell down under Balaam. So Balaam was inflamed and he was so angry that he struck his donkey again. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me three times? Now, I think, and so Balaam then started answering the donkey. He said, you've mocked me. Oh, that there was a sword in my hand. If I had a sword, I'd kill you. Okay, now these were unbelievable warning signals to Balaam. I mean, God was going out of his way to try to warn him. But Balaam's flesh wanted to go so badly, and he wanted those riches that were being offered, so he wouldn't allow himself to heed this warning signal. 
Now, there's a difference now between those times when we're being harassed by the enemy, when we're trying to do, you know, the work of the Lord, and we need just to take authority over the harassment. There's a difference between that and those times when everything's going wrong and deep down we have a knowing, we know it's because we're headed in the wrong direction. You, you felt both of those where you knew it was just the enemy holding you back and those times when you knew down on the inside that you were headed in a direction other than God's direction. Now, sometimes you'll have just kind of a cross in your spirit, but sometimes it's easy for us to push that, that feeling aside and ignore the warning. Now, Balaam wanted to get to that money, so he was ignoring that warning signal. Okay, now I want you to picture the scene. The first time the donkey sees the angel in verse 23, he heads out into the field. He's trying to get away from that angel, and Balaam has to strike him with a stick to get him back on track. The next time, in verse 24, they're going through a narrow path with a wall on each side, and when the donkey sees the angel this time, she can't get away, so she presses herself against the wall so tightly that she mashes Balaam's foot. Well, you can imagine, he's furious when this happens. And so he thinks that his donkey's gone crazy, and so he strikes the donkey again. But this was a warning sign. God was trying to get the warning to him. Now, the third time she sees the angel in verse 27, the donkey has no place to go, so she just lays down with Balaam on her back. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, th this would make a comedy when you watched it. Well, poor donkey, you know, I'd lie down too if I had an angel appearing, coming at me with a sword and was trying to head me off. Now, Balaam's donkey was trying to save her master. Our kids had a donkey named Sprint when they were young, and it was their donkey that was always trying to kill them. <laughs> it was a totally opposite scenario. They'd get on her back, and she would go to the first low-hanging branch she could find to try to drag them off, or she'd go to the edge of a, a hill and, and try to dump them off. But Balaam's donkey now, she was trying to save her master. And in verse 28, God opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey said, What have I done to you that you would strike me three different times? I want you to notice the donkey had been counting how many times he struck her. Okay, what's so comical is that in verse 29, Balaam doesn't even stop to see how unusual it is for a donkey to talk. Balaam is just so angry that he answers the donkey. In verse 29, he said, if only I'd had a sword, I would have killed you, you know. Okay, now there's nothing humble about Balaam. Pride is the opposite of humility. And boy, Pride will always lead someone to a fall, and there was a lot of pride in Balaam. Now, all he's concerned about is that he has been made to look stupid and, and foolish. Now, you can tell that Balaam's spirit now is not right when his chief concern is how embarrassed he is in front of these two servants. They were leaders of Moab, and he wanted to look big, and this has made him look foolish. Now, to let his flesh go to the point of having a temper tantrum showed that his spirit wasn't right. Now, if a person has a bad heart, it's going to continue to show up over and over and over. And so in verse 30 and 31, the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey whom you've ridden since I became yours? Do I normally do this to you? The donkey's, and he's not even paying attention to the fact that the donkey's speaking. He just says, No, you haven't. And then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and he saw the angel's sword drawn. And Balaam bowed his head and fell flat on his face. <laughs> Can't you just imagine? He has no idea why the donkey's done all this when 
he looks up and sees the angel with the sword, I'm sure that was a terrifying sight, and he fell on his face. Now, the angel has his attention now. Now, it's amazing what it takes to get some people's attention, and we need to watch for that. If we're stubborn and it takes a lot to get our attention, we better repent and get ourselves thinking differently. And the really sad part is that even after God tries that hard to impress Balaam, Balaam is still going to yield to the enemy later. That, you know, you would think that by now he would think, boy, I better not have anything to do with this. But God is a merciful God, and he tries even to give Balak, King Balak, a chance. Now, so many times we think, boy, if I ever saw an angel, I'd be convinced. You know, I'd do it God's way if I saw an angel. Well, not necessarily. You know, whether it's an angel trying to get our attention or another person trying to get our attention or God trying to get our attention, it still takes a change of heart before it makes a lasting difference. Might change our mind for a little while, but if we're going to have a lasting difference, it's going to take a change of heart. And that's why we need to continually pray, Lord, take out any wrong thing that's in me. Keep my heart pure before you. Now, God said in verse 32, why have you struck your donkey three times? I oppose you because you are perverse. Well, I looked up that word perverse because um, God was calling Balaam perverse. It means contrary. It means perverted. He's telling you're perverted, you know. It means stubbornly contrary. It means wicked. It means disobedient. And it means persisting in evil. And so that's pretty self-explanatory. Now, it's interesting that before it's over, three times King Balak was going to try to get Balaam to curse Israel. He's determined, and he's going to make three appeals. And we find here three times God sends the angel to stop it. Now, the angel even counted how many times Balaam struck his animal, verse 32. And in verse 33, the angel said, If your donkey had not turned you away from me these three times, he said, By now, I would have killed you, and I would have saved the donkey. I would have let her live. Uh, You know, I think the angel would have killed our donkey. Our donkey was definitely not born again. We were sure of that. Now, in Numbers 22, verse 34 through 35, Balaam said to the angel, I have sinned because I did not know that you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will return. Now, the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only speak the word that I tell you to speak. So Balaam went with the leaders of King Balak. Now, God is trying to use Balaam to speak a warning to Balak. He's trying to get him to to hear the truth because Balaam knows the truth. Now, Balaam was caught red-handed. He didn't want to die, so he knew how serious the angel was. So the angel had probably put enough reverential fear in Balaam that he wasn't going to openly pronounce a, a spiritual curse. But we find out later that his heart hasn't changed a bit. Now, we don't have enough details given here to know exactly what the situation was. But in chapter 22, verse 20, it appears that God told him to go. And in verse 22, then God is angry with him for going. Now, we know that God's not double-minded. He's not wishy-washy. So we don't have enough facts to know the whole story here. So we can only make assumptions. But Balaam was just going to find a more subtle and a more crafty way of doing it. You would think when someone saw the power of God, you would think that he would have said, maybe I better listen, but not Balaam. He's still going to see that, that Israel gets cursed because he wants the riches that'll come because of it. But in the meantime now, he's on good behavior. That angel's there, so he's on good behavior. And in verse 36, a lot of times a king will send his officials now to do his business. And so that's what Balak had done at first. He sent officials with the money. But now it has turned into such a powerful thing that 
this time now, King Balak was frightened, and he realized his whole kingdom was at stake. So he wasn't going to trust the task to anyone else now. He's going to go himself. And in chapter 22, verse 37, King Balak changed his tactics, and you can see him doing a complete about face. And now he's saying, oh, oh, Balaam, you know, don't tell me that you won't allow me to honor you. I'm just wanting to honor you. That's all I'm wanting. Surely you're not going to pass up my generous offer. And so in chapter 22, verse 38, then Balaam makes it clear that he's only going to speak what God says because he's just had an encounter with an angel. And so, I mean, he knows that angel is still right there listening to every word he's saying. And uh, even though he knows they don't see the angel, he knows the angel's there. So he says to King Balak, I can't do anything right now. Because in verse 35, the angel told him to go with him. And in verse 40, they begin to offer up many sacrifices, probably trying to entice God to change his mind and allow Balaam to curse Israel. They're doing everything they know how to do. We don't know for sure what all went there. The Bible doesn't give us every little detail. But in chapter 23, God gives him an angel, an answer through prophecy. Now, Israel was a nation that was to be set apart now, a separated people who didn't intermix with the other nations. And Israel knew that. She knew she was never supposed to intermix with other nations. And she saw how all the other nations were wiped out of the way if they uh, tried to, to stop Israel. And so in verse 10 through 12, the angel on the way had made a pretty big impression on Balaam. I mean, I'm sure that angel, and angels are so big and so tall, and he had that sword, that I'm sure he did make a good impression. And he knew that angel meant business, and he knew that he would have been killed. Now, it was in verse 13 that King Balak made his second appeal. Now, this time, he had taken Balaam to the backside of this huge mass of people. I, I, I get tickled listening to how many different ways King Balak tried to convince Balaam. And so King Balak said, you're only going to see the people from the backside. Side. You're not having to face them head on. So maybe now you can curse them from behind. I'm sure that he must have thought that Balaam was in, intimidated by seeing all those people head on. But he didn't realize that Balaam wasn't intimidated by seeing the people head on. He was intimidated by seeing that angel. But in verse 18, God put words in his mouth again. Now, basically, he was saying the people are not in disobedience to God, so nothing can remove God's protective hand. So he knew that. And in chapter 23, verse 27, this is King Balak's third appeal to Balaam. He said, come, let me take you to another place. Maybe we can find the right spot and God will be agreeable. Now, if you'll remember, the angel stopped Balaam three times on the road, probably to warn him once for each appeal that Balak was going to make so that he wouldn't forget. Now, God knew Balak would make three appeals. I think if Balak had been going to make five appeals, I think the angel would have appeared five times. You know, God was trying his best to warn him, and he wanted Balaam to obey. Then God prophesied again in chapter 24, verses 2 through 9. But I want you just to look at the end of verse 9. I want you to notice that he's repeating the Abrahamic covenant. I tell you what, this Balaam was shrewd. He knew the words of God, obviously knew the Bible. And so in chapter 24, verse the last part of verse 9, he said, Blessed is everyone who blesses you. Blessed is everyone, uh, and cursed is everyone who curses you. So he's quoting the, the word of God right back. He's, he's letting them know, I know the word. You know, he's making them think that the word's important to him. And so he's quoting out of God's word to impress them. 
And then in chapter 24, 10 through 13, then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. And he said, I called you to curse my enemies, but you have persisted in blessing them three different times. Flee now to your place. I had said that I would honor you, but the Lord has held you back from that honor. And then Balaam said, Did I not say, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad. What the Lord speaks, I will speak. And then in verse 14, God goes on with the prophecy through Balaam. He tells Israel what he's eventually going to do to Moab. Okay, then he said in verse 17, I see the Messiah, but it's not time for him yet. He said, a star and a scepter will rise out of Israel. So Balaam, I mean, he's hearing God. He, he even recognized what was going to happen way down the line when he said there's going to be someone, there's going to be a star over that person, and he's going to have a scepter in his hand. Okay, now he was seeing the star, the Messiah of Matthew 2, verse 2. So he not only knew the word, but he was hearing God. And when Balaam finished this time, everybody just went home. And uh, it got worse for King Balak every time he asked for Israel to be cursed. So he probably decided, you know, it's not getting any better. It's getting worse. So we might as well go home. Now, it appears when you read this that he gave up and Israel was okay. And King Balak just decided, okay, I'm not going to bother them anymore. Because I'm sure he realized he was losing ground. He probably thought it gets worse instead of better. So I'd better quit now. But he's not in it to quit forever. And it's really sad because God used Balaam's mule and he used an angel to try to warn Balaam. And he used Balaam's own mouth to warn King Balak. So they'd been heavily warned, even though Balaam's heart was far from being pure. You can, you can read parts of this and you think, well, he must have been a pretty good man. But no, if you read it all, you realize he's not in it to please God. But neither the king nor Balaam heeded the warning before it was over. I want you to keep in mind that up until now, the children of Israel, they have no idea what's been going on between Balaam and King Balak. They don't know what's going on. They've just been going on their merry way. They're obeying God. They're having no idea that God has been intervening on their behalf to keep them from being cursed. It's the same way today. You know, we're, we're, when we're trusting in God's covenant promises and we're being obedient to his commandments, God is fighting battles for us in the spiritual realm that we may never know about in this life. But we're being protected all the same. And that's why we need to be constantly just praising God because we have no idea the things he's protecting us from. And that's why obedience is so important so that we don't stop the flow of God's blessing. If we're obedient, the flow of God's blessing is going to continue to come, even if we don't know the problems that are out there. His miracles are going to continue to come. His protection is going to continue to come. Now, if we stopped reading right here, it would appear that Balaam had turned out to be a pretty good prophet for God. Now, we know that it was because he had to, but it would appear that way. He's passed up the king's silver and gold. He's even passed up his chance to be honored by the king. And he did speak only what God told him to speak. It was amazing when you read that. So it sounds pretty honorable to us, but don't be fooled. All that means is that Balaam knew the angel on the road was real. He knew that angel meant business. He knew that his hands were tied. And he knew that he would have died if he had spoken against Israel. And he wasn't ready to die. 
So he, it's not that he was falling after God, it's that he was just smart at this point. But he also wasn't about to let all that silver and gold slip through his fingers. So we're going to find out how he figured out a, another way that he thought would curse Israel. So be sure and tune in next week as we finish this exciting episode in the life of Balaam. Father, we thank you that there's so much we can learn from these Old Testament stories. Father, there's so much we can learn. There's, there's so many things in the life of Balaam that we can see things to absolutely not do and other things to do that, that keeps us under your protection. Thank you for giving us these warning signals. Thank you for giving us these stories, letting us know the things that happened under the old covenant so that we know exactly what to do to be pleasing to you, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.